Hi, Stephanie here. I am an entrepreneur, lobbyist, wife, mother, book lover, and political junkie. I think gender equality is still a work in progress in our homes, our workplaces, and our politics. And I love to learn, especially from other women. So I started Women Don't Do That, a podcast and blog to talk about issues women care about today and to inspire us to do whatever it is we think we can't do. To say that I am excited to have today's guest here is a complete understatement. Today we have with us Leslie Church. Leslie is Chief of Staff to the Deputy Prime Minister and Minister of Finance of Canada, the Honorable Christia Freeland. Approaching seven years inside the Trudeau government, Leslie has served as Chief of Staff in four ministries, helped lead the development of two federal budgets and the government's procurement response in the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic, and served as the Director of Policy for the 2021 National Liberal Campaign, heading up the development of the Liberal platform. Before joining the government in 2015, Leslie was the head of communications and public affairs for Google Canada. She also served as vice chair of Ontario's open government engagement team, which provided recommendations to the Ontario government on open data, access to information and civic engagement. Leslie has worked extensively in politics and public policy for over 15 years, serving on public boards, advising on public policy reviews, working previously in Parliament as Director of Communications to the Leader of the Official Opposition, the Honourable Michael Ignatieff. She's also practiced law in Toronto. She's a graduate from the University of Alberta, the London School of Economics, and the University of Toronto Faculty of Law. Thank you so much for coming today, Leslie. Well, thanks for having me, Steph. I want to start with asking you, what does life look like for you right now? Well, uh, other than the fact that it is pouring rain, pouring cats and dogs in Ottawa right now. Life for me is, it's been, it's been a really good summer after about two and a half years of uh, really, really intense work um, in government uh, as a result of the pandemic, um, mm -hmm. as a result of the election last year and uh, many of the issues that we've dealt with in the last six to nine months, uh, very much a changing economy, uh, the blockades in Ottawa and across the country, uh, the war in Ukraine. So this summer has been a small step back towards normal uh, yeah. with my kids in summer camps and um, my family just came back from uh, my sister's wedding out west, so a bit of a vacation. And, you know, I think right now we're just at that at that pivot point here in late August where we're starting to really look ahead to the fall and the return of the house and planning for all that entails. So, you know, life is, um, I think for, for everybody, we've all had a very strange, busy, difficult, challenging few years in many different ways. Mm -hmm. And it feels like there is a, you know, maybe even more than a, a glimmer of light on the other side as we kind of figure out a little bit of this new normal. Um, I'm at home this morning, but I work both, uh, I would say very hybrid right now, like a lot of people in government, uh, where most days I'm in the office, I'll be in the office later today. 
um, but there's still a bit of a balance happening between and, and a realignment, I would say, in terms of how work and life fit together mm-hmm. um, in at a time when people are still cautious uh, about COVID, but eager to be back and working, you know, with one another, um, but also benefiting from some of the kind of the hybrid technology that we've seen uh, uh, enter the workplace in the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah, it has been such an interesting time. I remember shortly after uh, the Trudeau government came into power, it was, just, it was just such a crazy time then too. So you've really had quite a ride in uh, in this government. What motivates you to live your best life? Wow. Well, for me, I think it's always actually been time and mm-hmm. thinking about the fact that we only really get to go, we only get to go around this once and mm-hmm. wanting to really make the most of it, uh, wanting to have as many varied experiences as I can, um, wanting to live a life where I don't look back with regrets mm-hmm. um, that's full of, you know, friendship and love and, and taking the chances that come with those things. Um, it's also been very much motivated by, I would say, a really heartfelt love of Canada. Mm. Um, I've lived at uh, a couple of times outside of the country, worked outside the country, um, but I've always really, really had a burning desire to come back when I've been away. I'm originally from Edmonton, uh, Alberta, spent a lot of time in Alberta and BC growing up, uh, but moved to Ontario for school and stayed um, for, you know, gosh, now almost 20 years. And I, I, I love working in a career that lets me keep a foot in sort of all parts of the country, but right. especially out West back home where all of my family is. We're, my husband and I were really the outliers in, in our families in living, um, living out East here. Uh, so I, I've always really been motivated by that, by um, being inspired by a country that is, I think, as as beautiful as it is, as interesting and diverse as it can be, and trying to find ways to to work in a way that helps me give back to I think the communities um, that I've benefited from and and communities that I that I love and want to continuously work to improve. I love your answer. I, it makes me think about you know for maybe some listening that that haven't worked in politics. It is not a, an easy job by any stretch of the imagination and. I'm sure your love of your country really helps you through some of those hard moments. Yeah, it sure, I mean, it sure does. But you know, the, the, the wonderful thing about working in, in politics now, as long as I have, is there is no, you know, to, to the best of my knowledge and experience, there is just no other profession where you feel such a tangible impact mm-hmm. in what you can achieve. And it is, hard and it is very fast paced and unpredictable and you have to find ways to balance that and uh you know and kind of uh, structure your life um to cope with that but the ability to make change is just unparalleled anywhere else right because you do have access to those levers of public policy and um 
you know, and power, like through parliament, the democratic process, through cabinet uh, and decision making to do the things that you believe ought to be done to improve the lives of Canadians mm -hmm. and, um, and the country overall. And that is, it is so rewarding. And at the same time, you get to work with, I would say, a group of people who, for the most part, you know, share your values, they're on your team, you're mm -hmm. working and rowing together in the same direction. <clears throat> and that is constantly energizing and inspiring. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. One of the things I was thinking about, and maybe I'll ask you this now, is that you've worked on some pretty big files while you've been in government, um, you know, procurement related to COVID, as well as, you know, leading parts of the national liberal campaign and different platforms. How do you, like you said, like there's so much you can do and change, but at the same time, I'm sure that's um, a huge weight on your shoulders. <laughs> How do you navigate the stress? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess I would say, you know, for one thing, I kind of relish it. Mm -hmm. And I try to go uh, at my job and at my life with that sort of approach of, of thinking, no matter what I would do, I would want to be challenged. I would mm -hmm. want to be busy. I would want to be doing good, intense work. Right? Yes. Um, you know, that keeps me going. It keeps me, gets me out of bed in the morning, so to speak. Um, but there are a few things that I definitely do try to do. Um, one is I really do try to compartmentalize my life. Um, I do try to draw a line between my work life and my home life. Um, you know, I have three kids. They're all pretty young. They're, you know, eight, six, and four. Um, I've had mm -hmm. two of those children while I've been working in government here. Yeah. And, you know, so really young, really young kids. And, you know, I really do try to make the time to be present with them, right? Mm -hmm. And carve that time out <clears throat> and have my team sort of know and understand that, you know, like that is kind of precious time. And, you know, I can be reached when a, when a fire is burning, but otherwise, you know, I'll talk to you before, I'll talk to you after, but, but I really only want to, you know, I really want to spend that, spend what time I can, you know, devoted to my, to my kids and my family. And I do try to, you know, find the fun in, in everything I do, which is, you know, when I'm not at work, um, I really do like to, to, you know, to do things and get out of the house and get out back to nature and go <laughs> for hikes and, you know, take my dog out and listen to music and do all the things that I think really help me, um, help me relax. Um, I would say, you know, I also have really learned over the years that to kind of cut, you know, to cut myself and others around me, I hopefully some slack, right? Which is, mm -hmm. you know, we're, you know, nobody is perfect. Mistakes happen. And over the course of my career, you know, I think, you know, I've, I've made some mistakes. I've, I've definitely done things I would do differently at times. You learn from them. Um, but you also understand that, you know, even in those difficult moments, kind of this too shall pass. Mm -hmm. And if you have a long run kind of outlook, it helps balance out the highs and the lows. And yes. you, know, you know that 
there will have to be some room for mistakes and you'll get through it and you'll work through it um, because it's actually, it's just not practical, feasible. It's totally impossible that you will be perfect all the time. So you've got to be, you know, you've got to be realistic and, you know, you deal with, uh, you deal with those things as they come. Mm-hmm. I think there's so much wisdom in there for women, Leslie. I think about, you know, you're in a very stressful, high demand job and, I'm sure that doesn't mean that it's easy and, and that, um, you know, you're often putting out fires, but just hearing some of the things that you do to help you kind of balance that life a little bit, or at least in your own version of balance, um, I think will be an encouragement to other women that, um, that they can do that too. And, and you can even do that and be in a senior busy, stressful role. Cause I think sometimes people think, um, they can't be the Leslie's of the world. And I want women to know they can be. And me too. I mean, I do actually, <laughs> I mean, one of my great joys is uh, often meeting with um, some of the younger uh, political staff here on the Hill, um, you know, and I routinely get the question about uh, kids and, mm-hmm. you know, how do you have kids and do, do this kind of work? And, you know, my answer really to them is just, you know, first of all, for me, it's a matter of priority, which mm-hmm. is it was never something I was going to not do. And, you know, I had three of them, so I obviously love them. <laughs> I love having kids. Um, three is enough, by the way. Uh, there is no more in my future. <laughs> but, uh, but, um, but I also tell people, like, you know, there's, there's, there's never a good time. No. And there's never a bad time. Yeah. There's only time. Yeah. And so, you know, you just when it's right for you, you, you just have to do it and you have to, you know, um, everything else will fall into place, right? Um, getting pregnant, taking a maternity leave, it feels at the time, um, momentous, you know, most women have never had that kind of career break. Right. Um, Especially in Canada, right? Like, especially in Canada, Right. And oftentimes it is kind of a bit of a precarious moment when you're in your early to like, you know, maybe the beginnings of your mid career where you're really on the kind of, you know, you're still figuring out um, your career path. Um, And so it can be very daunting. But in the grand scheme of things, taking that time and taking that step is a small it's, it's actually a small amount of time in the grander yes. in your grander career so again mm-hmm. if you're looking at that kind of that long that long-term horizon you know six months or 12 months or 18 months now passes in the blink of an eye in terms yes. of your career and in terms of most employers and so you know you've just got to do it um, yeah. because if it's something that's important to you you won't find the right time or very unlikely and so the right time will be whenever you decide that you want to go ahead and do that. And so I do like to have that conversation and reassure mm-hmm. people that, you know what, I'm not going to pretend that it's, that it's not difficult or that there aren't sometimes uh, challenges along the way um, right. or, you know, even setbacks. There can absolutely be, mm-hmm. uh, but over that, over that long term, you know, it's an investment in your life, your family, the most important thing that's going to be with you when you enter old age and you're no longer working, <laughs> yeah. you know? And so don't give that up. So, you know, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, my, you have full support to go ahead and do that sort of thing. Yeah. My, my kids are 11 and nine now. And uh, I'm, I'm at that stage where it's not so much, you know, they don't need help going to the bathroom and snack, getting snacks and kind of some of the basics. And it does turn a little bit more to uh, emotional as I'm entering the, yes. the tween years. But I do have to say that it does really change so much, right? And I have more breadth for my career now. And they're starting to have their own interests in things that they want to do, whether it's their friends or um, just different things that occupy their mind or time that they want to think about. And um, I know it's so cliche to say to people, you know, wondering about having young kids or that do have young kids and are really struggling. But from my own experience, it does get easier. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we we finally we got rid of our crib. We're out of diapers as of last year. And you know, that does make a huge difference. I always say my I think my favorite moment was actually when I got to say, uh, say adios to um, to my uh, to my nursing pump, my breast pump, Uh, like, you know, That, uh, yeah, exactly. It was like, bye. I, I remember <laughs> when I got rid of all my baby stuff, it felt sad. And now when I look back, I'm like, I never want to see it again. <laughs> yeah. like, never want to see it again. You get oh, a little I'm... bit of time in there. <laughs> I'm hugely sentimental. Uh, I've got all that. I've got some of that stuff anyway, but I'm, I'm now counting on my, my sister recently married. Uh, so I can ship it all to her. Yeah. So. Oh, that's nice. Um, I have one of the things that I've been contemplating lately is I've had a few young women and I wonder what your thoughts are on this just really struggle with returning to work after maternity leave mm-hmm. and uh, I think just finding it hard but then also in some cases um, feeling like their careers were stinted because of it or like their mm-hmm. employers weren't super understanding what advice would you give to a woman kind of walking through that experience yeah look i i also found it very challenging especially after my first child to return to work um partly because you didn't know quite what to expect yeah and you know i uh you know i've heard this i've heard this advice before too which is you know you have to give yourself some time to adjust Mm -hmm. like i felt a couple things one was this the challenge of this newfound balance and the restrict, like just having to go about my work day in a different way and having a very, you know, wanting to get, wanting to get home at a certain time because of childcare. Um, again, a lot of women are coming back to the office and, you know, they're continuing to nurse. And so, you know, I, like, I have literally um, pumped in probably every nook and cranny in Ottawa, uh, which, you know, and some I can't believe that I did in retrospect, Um, but also a little bit more substantively, sometimes you come back and you're like, gosh, my job is different. Like people have been covering for me. And so the things I used to do are now being covered by somebody else. And how do I get back into the stream and feel like I'm up to date? And there's this real kind of re-entry Mm-hmm. Um, barrier that I think a lot of women go through and it really does take a number of months to kind of get back into the swing and to sort of redefine your role like I mean like three months four months and giving yourself that slack to just kind of adjust to being back and you know having the responsibilities of of a parent mm-hmm 
you know, I tended to find that those things, you know, in like a, a miniature version of that happens to me when I get, you know, when I get to go on vacation and it's like, yes. you come back and you're like, oh, like the team has been doing all this stuff where, you know, how do I fit in? Well, maternity leave is like, you know, that experience on steroids. Yes. Um, but, you know, I've also experienced it where, you know, the, my, my second child, when I, who I had, I came to Ottawa, I was five months pregnant. And so we were in the very first year of our mandate. Um, I took a fairly sh abridged mat leave and my, and my third child, Megan, I guess I had in 2018, mm. trying to do the math here. And when I came back or shortly after, actually, I went on mat leave, um, the minister I was working with was shuffled. So we went through a cabinet shuffle. So my, my, my job was like literally <clears throat> gone kind of underneath, you know, underneath my feet. And mm -hmm. look, I'm in a, you know, I'm in a place in Ottawa where, you know, I knew that there would be a place for me to come, to come back. I wasn't worried about that, but you're still worried about like, what is that going to look like? And yes. you kind of go through a, you know, a portion of your leave going, gosh, I really don't know what I'm coming back to. Yeah. And, you know, so I've gone through some of that, um, you know, some of that stress of wondering, like, you know, feeling a little bit like it was out of my control and out of my hands. Right. Um, but again, you kind of come back, you adjust. Sometimes you come back and pinch hit for a bit, but it will sort itself out and you do get back, you know, you can get back on track. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, I think that's helpful to, to think about and walking through, I think some of your own stories lets people see some of the steps as, as you go through some of those challenging experiences. I want to take a moment to thank today's sponsor, Beacon North Strategies, a boutique public affairs firm that can help you achieve your public affairs goals. If it sounds familiar, that's because it is. It is my company. Today, we are offering listeners a giveaway, which is a download of my top 10 tips to make your next meeting a success. I will put the link in the show notes so you can access this free offer. Thank you, Beacon North Strategies, for making today's episode possible. I, I was asking um, a young woman who, who works in politics about um, interviewing you and you know what feedback she might have for questions. And she had this question and I wanted to ask it to you. She said, one question I've been wondering about personally is how to make sure that men, or I think we can all say like partners, are pulling their weight in long-term relationships, especially when um, either of them have demanding careers. I feel like there's many pressures for women to literally do everything, to be successful, to be super hands-on with kids, keep a house, but none of the same for men. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that, I think that that is true. I think that that is changing. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, but look, I probably, I think I'm quoting Sheryl Sandberg here, who at one point said, you know, choosing your partner is one of the biggest decisions of your life. And, yes. and look, I have, I have to give um, a really big shout out, you know, to my own husband, who is absolutely an equal partner plus, um, mm. you know, in our home, in our relationship and is super hands-on with our children and I think wouldn't have it any other way. And I really, you know, I really hope that a lot of, you know, men today are embracing that. And I think that that's, I mean, I know that that's really a generalization. It's not across the board. 
Um, but I just do, I do think that that is so incredibly important in terms of your household, like your overall household and family balance. And I also think that it's great for your, great for the kids too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that, that really is important. And I do think that there's still a lot of double standards left in a lot of workplaces, you know, around yeah. women who have to leave to go pick up kids versus, you know, like the number of times that, that men have to do that or, you know, staying late or just that some of the challenges that we have that are kind of, you know, thrust upon us, just the logistics of having yes. kids and worrying about childcare and, um, you know, I'm thinking about those things. So, I, d- I definitely think we have a long way to go on that front, mm-hmm. um, but I do know that that is like, it's mi- it's just mission critical. And you know, I I would not, I would say I would not <laughs> function in my in my job in my world um, if it weren't for an incredibly supportive partner um, mm-hmm. who who can carry um, a lot of that weight as well. Um, so I feel very lucky, very privileged in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, one of the things I'm also proudest to have worked on in government, um, speaking of care, is uh, early learning and child care and yes. moving Canada towards, um, you know, $10 a day daycare right across the country. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I also, you know, I know firsthand how many parents struggle enormously with that, particularly when their kids are at a young age and yeah. you just can't find spots or the you know the financial pressures are just so large and so I really think of all the things that um, you know that I've been a part of I really think that that has the potential to be just you know a huge sea shift um, for parents but for women in particular to have access to that kind of you know to care at a at a very sort of reasonable amount yeah yeah, it is game changing, Leslie. <laughs> There's just no, no question, question about it. Um, when I think about her question, it also makes me think about, and I can't necessarily speak for other women, but for myself, that you have to also watch your own behavior that you're not contributing to the problem. Like just because something isn't done doesn't mean you need to then go, you know, get up and go do the dishes or mm. <laughs> right. Like, like, cause I think I tend to like fill the blank space or like take on the, the issue if it's there. And the other thing I think to really pay attention to, at least from my own experience is I would go on mat leave and then take on a bunch of additional responsibilities <gasps> around the home and stuff. Right. And then I would find when I would go back to work and try and like give them back to my spouse, he'd be like, uh, what's this, right? Like <laughs> all of a sudden you're making their, you made their life easier and then you're giving back some of the work and, and making it harder for them. And um, so like pay attention to those transitions, I think yeah. is also kind of a cue on like, and, and you might have to have some just open and frank conversations about them. Um, it is definitely a challenging thing uh, I, I definitely don't have it perfect myself. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, look, and there are moments, too. I mean, we're in back to school right now where, you yeah. know, there's just there's a lot of there's a lot of extra things about getting kids ready to go for the fall. And it, it's, it sort of feels like one of the high pressure zones of the year. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I would say a couple things, too, which is, you know, it comes back to what I was saying earlier about, you know, cutting it, cutting yourself and the people around you some slack, too, mm-hmm. which is, you know, the laundry can wait. Yeah. You know, like 
I don't have a perfect household. Um, you know, my I think my husband knows that when I, in times of stress at work, uh, my my Marie Kondo kicks in, and I come home and I'm like, I must declutter the house. <laughs> you know, because it's yes, it's like symptomatic of like if my life is really busy at work, I come home and I just want to be in kind of a Zen environment. And you know, you come home to a Lego explosion in the in the kitchen, and you know, kids stuff strewn all over the house. Yes, and I, you know, I kind of really have to sort of you know, find my, my sort of my yogic Zen and kind of go like, it is okay. And and understand that that's how I, that's how I sort of, you know, how my environment affects me. Yes. I find that in particular, uh, you know, if you work full time, work from home or part time, I find like my own happiness is tied to like, even my kitchen being clean, right? Cause like you're in different parts of your house sometimes. And I'm just like, ah, just makes a difference for my how my brain works that day yeah yeah (laughs) for better or for worse it it is what it is um I wanted to talk a little bit about uh more about women in Canada you already mentioned the the child care piece Mm -hmm. what do you think Canada needs to do more of to see women thrive Mm, that's a good question I think that there's a lot of there's I mean there's a lot of different ways to to go at that I mean I I think very much, you know, the early learning and childcare, one of the benefits of it is just how it is intended to also help women go back into the workforce. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've seen that play out in Quebec. Uh, you know, it could be one of the single biggest, uh, you know, increases to our labor force since, you know, since, uh, you know, free trade in the 80s. Like it's, um, it will have a huge impact that way. Yeah, I think that there is still a lot more that needs to be done to ensure that women um, have kind of equal access and opportunities to leadership, management, and board mm-hmm. roles across mm-hmm. Canada and in Canadian business. I would like to see more women as role models, um, you know, across our economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that we are still kind of plateauing on that front and we just, we, we, we can't seem to break the barrier to really get to something close to parity in terms of how women should be represented. Because I, I do think that that is material in terms of how people look at their careers and how they make decisions about, you know, how much they want to sort of, you know, ex, you know, Put their foot on the gas in their careers, kind of post childbirth, versus, um, you know, making decisions that are guided by just the lack of role models and the lack mm-hmm. of family friendly work workplaces. Yeah, um, I you know I think for a lot of women who are single moms or who are working in the care sector or who are working um, in, you know, low wage low-wage jobs, I think we have a long ways to go to recognize the value of what women do in these fields. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I think the pandemic has, again, really put a spotlight on those inequities. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the care economy in particular, I think, is really rested on the work power of women. Yes. And the fact that so many, so, so, so much of the, so many of the jobs in those areas are, I think, undervalued and 
under-resourced uh, and with limited benefits means that women are bearing, an, I think, an enormous, um, an enormous burden. And they're showing up and they're doing these jobs and they are incredibly difficult. Yeah. And we just have to do a better job of valuing their contribution. So, you know, I think, I think that there's a lot of work to be done on that, like in terms of women's economic participation mm -hmm. overall. I also think another area that I'm pretty, um, pretty passionate about is women's health. Mm. Um, because I do think that we are different. And I think that, you know, it's kind of well documented that women have largely been overlooked in terms of a lot of, you know, um, approaches to, to healthcare um, that have evolved over time. Yeah. And I think as somebody, you know, who's, you know, experienced that in different ways, I think you can, you know, you see the opportunities there for um, a better, more concerted focus on the needs of women at all stages in their life, honestly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think those are really important points. One of the things that I have been really struck by, and I don't know if you've noticed this with your daughters, is how much some of those like stereotypes and sexism are still so alive and well. Like, Things that I will hear from my daughters that boys have said to them at school or things that they think about themselves, about the roles of women or otherwise. Um, and it, it almost shocks me, right? Because it sounds like when I went to school and you think, you've got to think that it's changed. But it, I just think there's so much work left to be done. <laughs> yeah, no, there really, I think there is. I, I also remember that I, when I, when I left university, I felt, I felt very much that, you know, um, I think the world was more sort of, you know, more feminist, I would say, than I think the reality. And it was really mm. during my work life, to be honest with you, where I think my consciousness as a feminist really started to grow because I, mm. I think I, I think I went into certain fields um, in particular like I'm particular which is I've worked in politics I've worked in you know law I've worked in tech I mean these are <laughs> <laughs> these are I've been largely sort of male dominated areas um, mm -hmm. and certainly at the leadership level and uh, you know and I just think that I wasn't I wasn't really aware until I was actually out there in the workforce as a young woman in terms of being surprised at just how far society had yet to go to yes. really incorporate, you know, full equality for women. Um, yeah. And so that really changed, like that really, I would say, has made me become more of a feminist than I, than I even <laughs> thought I was when I was when I was in university. So yeah. kind of coming back to my kids today, and you know, I've got two daughters, uh, you know, I am, and a son who, you know, I think benefits from being squeezed between the two. <laughs> I, I think it's important that we try and tackle those stereotypes early. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that, I think that they are more aware of even just the fact that those are stereotypes then I, I think like the language that we use to talk about this and talk about diversity and inclusiveness um, in some ways even wasn't there 
20 years ago. Yeah. So I love that. I love that about kids growing up today. Um, but I also, you know, I very much worry about the impacts of social media. Yes. I worry about the exposure that they get to ideas, concepts, images um, that you just can't police and yep. about the kind of the constant bombardment of that. So, uh, you know, Steph, I look to you and your, your <laughs> kids are a little older than mine, but I mean, I, I think I dread the teenage years yeah. coming up and, and some of the challenges that that's going to raise um, yeah. in terms of just, you know, how they cope with some of those awkward years and you yeah. know, how they look at kind of their own self-esteem and self-confidence mm -hmm. um, for the future. And I, I think it makes me think too, Leslie, about how just some of the, like you were saying, like maybe you thought we were further ahead in certain areas until you worked in certain areas or you talked to different people. And I think depending on your workplace, your career can feel and look very different, right? Um, I know some people, you know, maybe they've worked in the not-for-profit sector, mostly worked with women. And so their work experience is so different uh, than someone else's. But uh, when you get a glimpse of someone else's, sometimes you're like, oh, wow, <laughs> so there's still uh, lots of work to do, which is why we have this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to talk a little bit more about your career. I, I um you may not know this, but Mary Rose Brown, who works mm. in your office, and I went to university. So I asked Mary Rose to give me a quote about you. <laughs> oh so my this God. is so this is what she says. Working with Leslie is like having a master class in getting things done. Her ability to cut through the noise and focus on what matters most is very impressive. From leading the budget process to handling multiple crises, both domestic and international in scope, in churning through the day-to-day -day business of government, she does it all with grace and never fails to make time for her team. She's a great coach who encourages you to think big and bring your best. Her dedication to her work and to making the world a bit better every day is evident in the impact she has had for this government and for Canadians. Oh, wow. That's, what a beautiful quote. Wow. Oh my gosh, Mary Rose. Thank you. <laughs> Mary Thank Rose. You. She is on Mat leave right now. Yes, so. she is. Yes, that's right. So on that note, I want to chat a little bit about your career before we get into mm -hmm. final questions. So a lot of our listeners probably don't work in politics. So can you give a brief snapshot of what a chief of staff does? Hmm. Yeah. Whew. So I would say a couple, a couple of things. So you know, first and foremost, I would say I'm the, I'm the kind of the chief political advisor to a minister. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in this case, my current role, you know, I work, I work uh, for Christian Freeland. And I would say my role is really to work to understand her vision and the government's vision and agenda, work with our department, you know, of, of public service officials who are there permanently, uh, in Ottawa uh, to support the government of the day, to build and grow a political team, a political office uh, for the minister, uh, to help sort of fulfill both you know, the, her agenda and also her day-to-day -day needs. And then to work really across government, um, you know, with different ministers' offices um, and ministers, the prime minister's office, to coordinate how government actually creates and implements 
the things that we want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, so our team, you know, right now at in the deputy prime minister and deputy, deputy prime minister's office and you know um, minister of finance, you know, we're about we're about thirty five people, and you know, so a lot of my like the love for my work comes from you know getting to build a team like that and working with them day to day in this environment you know where we have folks who work you know on communications and on issues management and you know people who help spearhead the minister's agenda through parliament and mm-hmm. you know the day-to-day uh day-to-day uh, uh confrontations with question period <laughs> um you know we have a team that really works uh on you know connecting with uh the provinces and territories, like almost like intergovernmental relations and mm-hmm. planning her tours and where she goes across the country and making sure all of that, those logistics are in place, um, you know, and, a, you know, and a policy team that kind of works with uh, the department to help figure out how to implement the, you know, kind of the ideas that we've been tasked with bringing forward as a government and mm-hmm. the things that we think we need to do to respond to the issues of the day. So. I feel very much like, you know, a team, a team lead, a coordinator, a coach. Um, I feel like I am a consummate networker. I'm somebody who yes. I would say has to be the person who sees where are the obstacles going to be, where are the issues going to arise, who needs to talk to, to who across government, outside of government with stakeholders, um, you know, how are we positioning things in the media, how are we kind of, um, you know, moving forward in all of these directions at one time. It's, you know, it's a bit of a, you know, conductor of a, of an orchestra in some respects, right? (laughs) Every time you do something in government, you know, you're thinking we've got a piece of legislation we've got to push through over there. We've got a committee appearance we have to do over here. You know, the minister's headed over to a G7 meeting. We've got to kind of plan for that. And, you know, it's, uh, it's it's a little bit, you know I feel like I juggle at work in the same way I juggle at home. Yes, and, it sounds like a good job for a mom, Leslie. It sure is. <laughs> I you know I, I generally laugh. I think I think I told uh, I think I told Krista Freeland when I when I sort of first interviewed with her that you know I'm the I'm the daughter of of two air traffic controllers and you know it's kind of in my blood to to be a person that you know just likes to kind of you know see where things are going and keep that keep everything moving and yeah. try and figure out how do we avoid any missteps and, and look down the field. Like once you've got the day to day covered, look down the field about, you know, where do we need to go? Mm. You know, we're going to have a fall economic statement at some point, we're going to have a budget coming up. How do we plan for these things? What is the work we need to do now to get where we need to go? And how do we bring people together to make sure that they are coming along with us um, in all those journeys? So that's kind of what I, that's what I do, and in and in between all of in between all of, of that is just the the unpredictability of mm-hmm. dealing with all the current events that come in and and other yeah. things that pop up. Anything and everything, right? Um. All right. Really quickly, can you just add because I'm sure some people listening wonder how do you get into a job like that? I'm just trying to think. I mean, I have been I've been active in politics partisan and nonpartisan in some ways um, for now, probably, I guess, maybe like t- close to 25 years. 
mm-hmm. dating back to very sort of like late high school, early university. And I mean, I think, I think to be a, you know, to be a chief of staff in government, I think you really need to sort of, first of all, say like, I am, you know, I, sh- I share a certain set of values with a political party mm-hmm. and I want to work with that party. I want to work to get the kinds of things done that that party stands for. Um, so I would say like, I, I cut my teeth young, um, working for the Alberta liberals, like being a volunteer, mm-hmm. um, you know, in a place where not many liberals get elected. Yeah, so I true. wasn't, I wasn't part she of the winning campaign. She was putting in the real work, the real work. <laughs> that's right. Until I moved to Ontario. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, uh, you know, I, it's, it's been a, a long road, but along the way, you know, I, I would say my advice has, has been to anybody, you know, if it's the kind of world that you're interested in, you know, I've, I also worked, you know, I worked my way up and I think, you know, I've held uh, a variety of roles from being a, you know, volunteer on a local campaign to, you know, helping run leadership campaigns to, you know, working in government, I kind of f- fell into communications, um, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, it was the available, like it was a spot that was open and lo and behold, you know, I, I ended up becoming the director of communications to the leader of the official opposition, um, you know, about a dozen, dozen or so years ago. And, you know, I took some time out of politics, um, you know, very much enjoyed having experience to bring back uh, from the private sector. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that is, you know, also a sort of a key piece of advice is politics is always here and it's really important to look at it as, you know, um, kind of a detour on your career path. And it's, you know, in Canada, at least it's not a, it's not a permanent career, mm-hmm. but, you know, I think if you want to do it, then it's about kind of raising your hand saying, put me in coach. And yes. I always say like, I think, along the way, part of how I've kind of lived and grown my career is just, you know, when something needed to be done, I was like, putting out my hand and saying, put me in, what can I do? How can I help? And that has led into a myriad of different directions. And, you know, you, you build that the sort of the expertise to um, be able to tackle these issues and see what's coming and understand a bit more of the politics of the country coast to coast to coast. Uh, to be able to step into a, a into a role like this, mm-hmm. um, but it's not magic, you know. No. There's we're hiring on Parliament Hill right now, so yeah, if yeah. There are job openings. If anybody's listening, that's right, and you want to get a start now. So Leslie, a, where you know. where did they find out about them? Um, some of them well, are on LinkedIn, aren't they? I, feel like I think some of them are definitely them. definitely on uh, on LinkedIn, and uh, the uh, you know there's something here called uh, the Liberal Research Bureau, uh, which often posts. Um, job openings as well. So I think, um, you know, it can, it can be done. And the other thing I would say is get involved locally, like mm-hmm. nothing beats the experience of actually working on a campaign of going door to door of meeting Canadians of hearing um, yeah. what they have to say. And, yes. you know, I really enjoy election season because of that <laughs> it happens because I think it's so important to be back on the doorsteps and to mm-hmm. be Hearing. Get out of the Ottawa yeah. bottle bill, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And hear from people about what's important to them. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and I think, uh, you know, we look, we, we really look for that, um, that experience because we are political staff, right? We're not, yeah. um, we're here for, 
a finite period of time and we're there to provide a political lens um, on the work that government does. And so Mm -hmm. the only way to really kind of sharpen that lens, you know, is to get involved and understand how politics works. And, you know, I think you do that from the ground up. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's great advice. I love that. And I think one of the most important things that you said or alluded to certainly was you just have to start period, right? Like that's that's the first thing you need to do. And that can be as simple as volunteering on a campaign. Um, All right. I want to jump into these final questions. What is one piece of advice you want to leave the listeners with? Hmm. Well, I would say one of my, one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite lines to live by is perfection is the enemy of the good. Mm-hmm. You know, the laundry can wait. The kids will be all right. Sometimes speed is more important than being perfect. Yeah. Um, and giving yourself permission to, to uh, be less than perfect, I think is really important. And I mm-hmm. think it helps you to be a bit more fearless if you don't put yourself up to that standard all the time. Mm, I love that. What is the best rule you ever broke? I would say, I would say probably working in areas where women have been few and far between, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, I mentioned that politics, tech, finance. Let's <laughs> uh, see, like, which out, one have I not done? <laughs> and seeking out leadership roles in those areas. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, breaking the rules. It's, it's about doing what you love, exploring, and just not being intimidated by what you don't know. Yeah. Because, you know, which isn't to say I don't get intimidated. I sure do. But you try to recognize it and you try to push past it. Yeah. Can you name another woman that inspires you? Well, for sure. I mean, <clears throat> I always say one, every day, every morning I'm, I'm in the office, I walk past a row <clears throat> of Portraits of finance ministers dating back 153 years. They are all black and white. They are all male. And I, I really look forward to the day when we get to put Christopher Freeland's photo up on that wall. Yay. And I hope, and I hope when that happens, it is done in blazing color, ah. um, <clears throat> so it pops out. But I would say the, you know, the the woman who is probably this is going back a bit. The woman who maybe has had some of the one of the biggest influences on my career. Um, was actually from my days as a university student, and it was it was Lois Hole, who was the Lieutenant Governor of Alberta. She was the Chancellor of the U of A, um, my alma mater, and I I think about her a lot, <clears throat> even to this day, <clears throat> because she was an author, she was a businesswoman, she was a gardener, uh, she was political without being partisan, um, feisty. You know, and she was a champion for her issues. Um, you know, whether that was healthcare or education, and, and you know, post-secondary education, um, the vulnerable. But she brought out the best in everyone, and she mm-hmm. was really beloved in Alberta, and in what can be a very partisan province. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And her success, I think, was that she. She did this all by being as kind as she was, um, humble, and despite all of her success, and that she was so proud of of Alberta and of Canada. And I think about just the way that she led and how mm. much she was embraced um, by Albertans. 
Mm-hmm. And I just wish we had more of that yeah. in our political culture to see a leader, you know, and someone who was as successful and renowned as she was, um, lead the way that she did with goodness, with kindness. I think she was really ahead of her time. Mm-hmm. And I just think it is a model of leadership that we absolutely need more of in, oh, in today's world. She sounds fantastic. Is there a podcast you're loving right now? Uh, I, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't listen. I would say I don't listen to a ton of podcasts um, just from a time perspective. Uh, I listen to some of the political ones, you know, the, that's the okay. Hurley Burley, the Hurley okay. Burley, yes. uh, you know, pod save America, the strategists, yeah. uh, you know, um, but I think when I'm looking to, when I'm, when I'm looking to get away from it all, I probably tune into, uh, I probably tune into Smartless with, with Jason Bateman just for some, you know, Will Arnett, just <laughs> some for laugh. some like, just for some humor, yes, you know, or Kara Swisher on on tech, like I, you know. So I think I would probably say not too interesting. If people have good recommendations, let me know. <laughs> Tell us about a book that made you wiser. So earlier, a couple months ago, I read. Uh, a book called The Candy House by Jennifer Egan. Mm. And it is a book of short stories, which you know, match, matches my attention span. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was about kind of the, uh, I read it as being about the perils of a, of a near future world mm. and the sugar rush of, you know, Candy House, the sugar rush of kind of social media and digital media and the crash that comes after. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the digital breadcrumbs that we all leave, the the kind of the consumerism that comes from, you know, the way that the web develop, has developed. And why it made me, I would say, wiser is I, I really enjoyed the read. I thought it was an interesting vision, mm-hmm. um, you know, of that near future, um, a bit of a warning. And it just reminded me of how much, you know, coming back to, I think almost where I started with you stuff, which is be present, connect mm-hmm. with humans, <laughs> love who you are, get outside, right. Connect with the real world. And, yeah. um, and as much as I loved reading it, like I really took that away and went, yeah, you know what, we've got to, we've got to kind of come back and recenter. Mm-hmm. And I think that that would be good for us all. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. It was lovely to catch up and to soak in your wisdom today. Thanks so much. Thanks for the invite. Thank you for listening to today's episode and giving me some of your valuable and precious time. Uh, Just a reminder to make sure to grab the freebie in the show notes from Beacon More Strategies, top 10 tips to make your next meeting a success. Have a great week and I look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you for listening to Women Don't Do That. I hope you feel inspired to do whatever it is you think you can't do. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Stay connected on Twitter and Instagram at Women Don't Do That. I would love to have you join the conversation, so make sure you join our next Instagram Live. Find all our podcast and blog content at womendontdothat.com. Join me next time. 